Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The Christmas story is not about what Caesar was doing, issuing the decree. The story is not about what the world was doing. The story is not even really about what Mary and Joseph were doing. The Christmas story is about what God was doing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. With those beautiful words, one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all time begins. In a world that's often filled with pain and sorrow, an announcement of joy is much needed. What about your life? Could you use a little joy? We've seen birth announcements of hope and birth announcement of peace. And today we're talking about the birth announcement, the announcement of joy. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, Christmas has come and gone and 2012 is here. But before we leave the Christmas season, we wanted to spend one more week in our Christmas series entitled Birth Announcements. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Luke chapter 2 and the announcement of joy. The announcement of joy revealed a divinely handmade gift. As I said a moment ago, joy is something that the world could use more of. And as we'll hear today, the coming of the Christ child brought joy in an unusual way, but it changed the world forever. Thanks for joining us today for this important message for all of us. Now here's Pastor Clay. Today, we're going to spend one more week... uh, at the Christmas season where we particularly talk about uh, the giving of the greatest gift that was ever given. This particular story is pretty familiar to uh, many of you probably. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 20 this morning reading this familiar Christmas story in this, uh, what I'm calling this announcement of joy. You know, we're kind of finishing up this series. I've been doing a series of Christmas season about these birth announcements. And we've seen uh, birth announcements of hope and birth announcement of, of peace. And, and, and today we're talking about the birth announcement, the announcement of joy. Who could use some joy in their life? Yeah, can we all? I want joy. I like it. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. That was part of the process, the, the policy. The Roman government said you had to return to your, to your home of origin, it, your family ancestry. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby, As he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. It is the announcement of joy. I want to share with you this morning just a few ideas about this announcement, what this announcement was and what this announcement did. And I want to begin with this idea this morning, and that is this. The announcement of joy revealed a divinely handmade gift. One of the things when you read this story as we just have, or perhaps in your family you read it together at the Christmas season, or whatever the case may be, one of the things when you read this story, I think, that just kind of jumps out at you is, is the fact that, that the sovereign hand of God is all over this story. God is at work doing this thing. God is accomplishing His purposes. God is working in remarkable ways in this event that we're reading. One of the things that that I think we need to notice is that, that God chose precisely the moment that He would come into time. Precisely the moment that He would come into time. We see it in uh, Daniel chapter 9. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. This verse, Daniel 9.25, specifically 9.25a, is a part of what is known as Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. We looked at this back in 2010 when we spent a year walking through the book of Revelation. Now, if you look at that and you say, well, 62 and 7, that's only 69. What do you mean 70 weeks? The 70th week, Daniel talks about a little farther on uh, in his prophecy, and it has to do with the tribulation period that we look so much at in in the book of Revelation. Uh, There's a space in there. That's why it's kind of separated from, from this. And we don't have a lot of time obviously, to get into all the intricate details of Daniel's prophecy. But let me just just say this. In Daniel's prophecy, one day equals one year. Okay? You with me? Say, we're with you. (laughs) One day equals one year. Therefore, in Daniel's prophecy, seven days equals... Good job. 
Seven days equals seven years. Seven days or one week equals seven years. Therefore, seven weeks equals... (laughs) Clearly not mathematicians. Seven weeks would equal 49 years. Seven weeks... Remember, one, one day is one year. Seven days is one week. That's seven years. Seven... You with me? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 49 years. 49 years. So in, in the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, if you take the other, bring it back please for me, Tyler. If you bring the other uh, 62 weeks in there or 62 groups of seven years. All right, good. You come to a grand total of 483 years. 483 years, Daniel says, 483 years from the, from the time the decree is issued for Israel, the Jews, to be allowed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. From that time, it will be 483 years until the coming of the Messiah and the time that he is cut off. As it says in verse 26, we're not reading that today, but he goes on verse until the time that he is cut off. In other words, the, the time of the Messiah, the entire encompassing time, his life, it would be 483 years. The Persian king Artaxerxes issued that decree in 445, 444 BC. Right in there somewhere. 445, 444 BC. Now you're going to have to take my word for this, but if you take 483 solar years from that date, 444, 445 BC, if you take 483 solar years from that date, you come to 2930 AD. Precisely the time that the Christ was crucified. Exactly as Daniel had said it would be. Now, I know that's a lot of numbers. I know that's a lot of dates. But the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, the cut to the chase, ladies and gentlemen, is that divine fingerprints are all over this account. God is moving. God is working. God chose precisely the moment in time. God chose precisely the way that he would come into the world. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. I'm sorry. (laughs) That just can't happen unless God is involved. The virgin can't conceive without the seed of a man unless God is involved. God chose precisely the moment he would step into time. God chose precisely the way he would come into the world. And God chose precisely the place he would come into the world. Did you know that? 400 years before the event took place, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah, just a small, small little town, insignificant, from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. A big deal. Israel's had lots of rulers. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Listen, what I'm getting to is the Christmas story is not about what Caesar was doing, issuing the decree. The story is not about what the world was doing. The story is not even really about what Mary and Joseph were doing. The Christmas story is about what God was doing, what God was, was orchestrating. 
Quite honestly, Caesar's decree had long since been decreed before, long before then God had already decreed it through Daniel. And God had already long since said through Isaiah that a virgin would conceive. And God had already long since said that in Bethlehem, the Messiah would be born. This is about what God is doing. This is God's handmade gift to us, ladies and gentlemen. His son, the Messiah. Gifts are good, right? Everybody likes getting gifts. But there's something about handmade gifts that really... And some people are really good at giving handmade gifts. Some of y'all are just unbelievable at it. But there's something about handmade gifts that are given to you that just, that just speak to you because it, it's like the person is giving you a part of themselves, their, their effort, their energy. See, I have a, a, a gift that James and Jackie Malcolm gave us a few years ago. Some of you know James is a terrific artist. And uh, he gave us this, this, uh, this piece of art that he made and it sits on our counter in our kitchen. And it just, it just it's a piece of that person. God gave himself in this handmade gift. So, I know I've got to move on. What, what does all this mean? What, what difference does any of this make? So, so God m- moved Caesar to issue a decree, and, and God moved uh, Mary and Joseph to fulfill a prophecy, and God moved the, the light, the stars, and God moved the, the wise men, and God moved the shepherds, and God, God what, what, is, what does all this mean? What it means is that God, ladies and gentlemen, goes to extraordinary lengths to make it possible for you to have a relationship with Him. That there is truly no limit to what God will do so that you and I can have a relationship with Him. And, and by the way, it, it also means this. If God... If God was willing to, to, to move a, a pagan king and, and if God was willing to, to move a, a young maiden who's pregnant and, and her fiancé, and if God's willing to move all that stuff, I wonder what God is willing to do to move you to where he wants you to be. You mean God wants me to move? Oh, most certainly. God wants you to move in 2012. Now, it, it may not be geographically. But I can promise you, he wants to move you spiritually. Because God is not satisfied, ladies and gentlemen, where you and I are. Do you hear me? Let me say it again. Look at me. God is not satisfied with where you and I are. Now, he may be pleased with you or me. He may not be, by the way. And if God is not pleased with where you are in your relationship with him or your walk with him or your, your surrender to him, if God's not pleased with that, listen, Listen, if you'll ask him, and sometimes I would say, I don't really want to know whether God's pleased with me or not. If you will ask him, and if you will be quiet long enough, God will speak into your heart and life, and he will let you know whether he is happy with where you are, whether he's pleased with, whether you are, with where you are. He, he may or may not be pleased with you, but this I can assure you, he's not satisfied with where you are. Think of it this way. A parent is pleased when their baby rolls over for the first time, but they're not satisfied. A parent is pleased when their baby sits up for the first time, but they're not satisfied. A parent is pleased when their child begins to crawl for the very first time, but they're not satisfied. Why? Because they know there's so much more for their child. And it is their love for their child that that caused them to urge them on, to bring them on, to, to 
to do whatever they have to do to get them to where they can walk and then run and jump and, and, and recognize a letter and read a word and read a book and on and on it goes because there's so much more. God has so much more for you and me in 2012 that he wants us to discover. Let me give you another idea about this announcement of joy. The announcement of joy revealed a plainly wrapped gift as well. In verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. One of the amazing things about this account is it's, it's just chock full of contrasts, this story. I mean, he's, he's eternal God, but he's a newborn babe. He's the king of the Jews, but he comes to the common people and to Gentiles, as we looked at the wise men on Christmas Eve. He's the owner of the universe, but he doesn't even have a room at the inn, and he has to be born in a barn or cave, has to sleep in a feeding trough. Now, you and I, looking back 2,000 years, we, we can look at it and we can say, well, you know, there's, there's really nothing ordinary about that, that birth, virgin birth and all that, there's really nothing ordinary about it. But there was something very plain about it. There's something very simplistic about the birth of Christ, born into such humble circumstances, born into such obscurity, not at all the way you and I would think that a a king, not at all the way that you and I would think royalty would be introduced to us. Truth is, God's never really been much interested in doing the way things the way we think that they should be done or not done. He was a very plainly wrapped gift. The thing about the, the, the present or the gift is that you can't really judge a gift by the way that it's wrapped, can you? I mean, sometimes some of the most ornately wrapped things are not something we think very special. Or something very plainly wrapped turns out to be something very special to us. The Christ child was, as far as the world was concerned, it was just another baby being born in another small town in another small part of the world. But because God's handprint was upon it, because God's fingerprint was upon it, because God was giving this gift, it means that God had purposes and plans that you and I often don't see. And that's the point of the divinely, uh, the plainly wrapped gift as I said, God's not necessarily interested in, in whether how we think something should be delivered or how we think something should be done. But what God is interested in, ladies and gentlemen, in 2012 and for the rest of your lives, what God is interested in is helping you to understand more about who He is and what His plans and purposes are for your lives and what it means to walk by faith in a relationship with Him on a continual moment-by-moment basis. You see, that's really the essence of what faith walking is. Faith walking is walking when it doesn't make sense, when I can't see where I'm going, when, when, it, when, when it's not at all the way I thought it would be or, or that I would even want it to be. 
But by faith I keep walking because God has called me to this walk. That's what God is interested in in your life, ladies, gentlemen. And as I said a moment ago, He's not satisfied with where you are. He wants to take you farther in that in 2012 than you've ever experienced in your life. All right, uh, here's another idea. It was a divinely handmade gift. It was a plainly wrapped gift. And the announcement of joy revealed a supremely practical gift. Verse 11 through 14 says this, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. You know, we often talk about the extravagance of God's gift to us, don't we? And we should, by the way. Would you sacrifice your son, your child, for people that don't even love you, by the way? We didn't. We may now, but we didn't. We often talk about the extravagance of God's gift. Such extravagance, such, such wealth, such a demonstration of His love for us. But you and I must never forget the supreme practicality of the gift that God gave to us, ladies and gentlemen. Notice that it says again in verse 11, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a, say it, Savior. Say it again, please. Savior. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, if ever a practical gift was given, that was it. Extravagant? Costly? Oh, absolutely. Demonstration of love? No question about it. But extremely practical. We often don't appreciate practical gifts. Practical gifts aren't often appreciated for what they are or should be or can be in our lives. Listen, without this gift that God gave, you and I would still be in our sin. Without this gift that God gave, you and I would therefore then be under the penalty of our sin. Without this gift, you and I therefore would still be under the condemnation of God and bound for a crisis eternity in a real place called hell because of our sin. But God sent His Son to pay for our sin. You and I needed hope. We needed peace. We need it purpose and direction. We need it forgiveness. And every bit of it was delivered in this tiny little newborn babe who grew to be a man and go to a cross to suffer and bleed and die so that you and I could have the most practical gift of all. Our sins forgiven and the promise of eternal life. Now, one more real quickly. The announcement of joy revealed a prominently displayed gift. Verse 15 of chapter 2. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
Shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. These shepherds, these sheep keepers, the lowly of the lowly in the class system, if you will. These angels come to them, bring this announcement to them and notice uh, the first thing that they say is that let us go straight to Bethlehem then and, and see if this thing has happened. No, that's not what they said, is it? No, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that, notice, has happened, which is the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. Man, I, I can just see them. <laughs> I can see them that night running down off the hill. I'm just imagining they're out in the hill country around around Bethlehem and they're, they're, they're running down the hill, eyes wide open, no no. No hint of uncertainty, but with absolute confidence running toward Bethlehem to see what God had spoken to them about. They're probably laughing. They're probably just eyes wide open, mystified at all that had just happened to them. And they run down to find this child, which they knew they were going to find because God had spoken to them that they would find this child. In verse 17, notice that it says, And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Aren't you glad the the shepherds didn't uh, run down, see the Christ child there lying in the manger? There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's uh, some animals maybe gathered around. And aren't you so glad that they didn't see all that and then say, wow, I'm so glad the Messiah has come. Well, let's get to sleep. We got, a, we got a big day in front of us tomorrow. No. No, notice what it is. Hey, you know what? I'm sure they talked about all they had seen. I'm sure they were happy about the angels. I'm sure they were excited about the multitude of the heavenly hosts showing up. I'm sure that they talked all about it. But it's interesting that the text says what they made known was the statement which had been told them. And what was the statement that had been made known to them? For today... In the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Ladies and this is the message that could not be contained. It had to be displayed. It had to be talked about. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Heaven forbid that they should ever keep this message to themselves, but that they would take it to everyone who would listen to them and they would declare this statement which God had given to them. But this thing about this Christ child, ladies and gentlemen, is that it's not, he's not someone we can put on display just during the Christmas season. For that matter, it's not even something that you put on display once a week when you get up and come down to church. But this idea of prominently displaying Christ as a permanent display in our lives. One of my prayers has been for you and for me in 2012, for cross-culture, that we would put Christ more prominently on display in our lives than he's ever been before. That this message that we have received, that in the city of David there's been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, that this news that has come into our lives could not be contained within us, but that it would have to be shared, not only verbally, yeah, sure, but in our actions, in our attitude, in our thought processes, in the way we act towards people, in the way we react towards people, in the way we treat people, in what we, in what we do, in what we give, in the way we serve, and, and 
all of it, that he's promptly displayed. Can I ask this question today? And then we're going to get ready to close. Would you say, is Jesus Christ prominently displayed in your life? It's a great question, isn't it? Is Jesus Christ prominently displayed in my life? And, yes or no, or however you might answer that question, what will it take for Him to be more prominently displayed in my life, in my home, in my family, to my children, to my coworkers, to my spouse, to my fellow students? What am I willing to do to put Him on display prominently in my life? That's a great question to end this season on. I want to give you a quote, probably as good a one as, I can, as I've ever come across, from Herbert Lockyer, wrapping up this whole Christmas idea. The blessedness of Christmas is the glorious truth that the Christ of prophecy became the Christ of history, and by faith He becomes the Christ of experience to those who receive Him. This year we saw some people come to know Christ, their personal Savior, maybe some of you in this room. My prayer is that next year we would see many more come to know Christ as their Savior. And even as you're in this room this morning, has the Christ of prophecy, who's become the Christ of history, is He the Christ of experience in your life? Gifts, we all love to give them and get them. But today, we've taken a closer look at the greatest gift ever given. The angel's words, Behold, I bring you great news of great joy, which shall be to all men was a desperately needed announcement. And as I said in the beginning, it changed the world forever. God's gift of His Son may not have come the way we might have expected, but as Pastor Clay pointed out today, God's timing was perfect. As we embark on a brand new year, we want you to know that God's gift of eternal life is still being offered. Surrendering your life to Christ brings the joy Pastor Clay talked about today. And it brings a whole lot more. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.